Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, this is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening, everybody. That's right, George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking... Should Britain have an elected head of state? What political ideology do you believe in the most? And lastly, have you already decided who you will or would vote for? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked you to send in your opinions on the following question. Does the prospect of a Corbyn-led government scare you? And as always, you guys have been sending loads and loads of messages to us. But our first one comes in from Michael. And they say, Jeremy Corbyn is absolutely a scary prospect to be prime minister. Where do I even start? Firstly, he's a weak leader. He's shown himself to be a man without a backbone, only interested in self-interest. And even then, he clearly doesn't understand that the best thing for him and his party would be for him. For him to step down. He has turned thousands, if not millions of people away from even considering voting for Labour, which has kept the Conservatives in power. This is a man who didn't even want to be the Labour leader himself. He left it to the very last minute to submit his application to be late, to be the Labour leader. He isn't the strong leader that we need to get us through the next phase of Brexit and working out trade deals with the world. Well, Callum, what, what do you think on that? Do you think for me, Michael seems like a potential Labour voter that is angry with the leadership. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a possibility. I, I don't know, obviously. We, we don't know what Michael's um, po- political affiliation is, as it were. I think it's a really interesting opinion. Um, I mean, I, I'd maybe challenge the, the notion that Jeremy Corbyn is a is a weak leader because we, we have seen that he has very um, a, a kind of effectively stuck to his his principles throughout a lot of um, at least his career as a backbench MP. Um, but he was often one of the, the rebels against um, Tony Blair's government and Gordon Brown's government um, with some of the kind of um, arguably draconian measures that they wanted to put in place, especially um, around the time um, of 9-11 and the Iraq war and, and, and so forth. Um, so so I, I think to, an, to a certain extent, I'd, I'd take issue with the notion that Jeremy Corbyn is, is actually a weak leader, and certainly in that sense of the word, because I do think he is, he has shown himself to, to very assertively stick to his guns. Maybe you might argue sometimes wrongly. Um, and I'd also say that um, in, with regards to whether or not he wanted to be Labour leader, um, I think he probably did want to be Labour, Labour leader ultimately, but he thought it was more of a fantasy uh, nomination when he first put it in place. I mean, me and you, George, we never would have um, predicted. I think it was probably before we started doing the show, but we never would have ever predicted. I don't think when those nominations first came out with those those four contenders, we would have said Corbyn would have been out in the first round, as it were. So, so it really was an extraordinary thing. And I think what we'll see with some of the opinions later is um, that maybe that shows a, a desire for a, a kind of different kind. Uh, way of doing things and whether or not Jeremy Corbyn has actually led to that happening is is not necessarily true but um, I, I think that was kind of what he symbolised and what he's tried to symbolise throughout his his time I mean what do you think of that opinion George? Um, I, I think I, I think the the whole weak leadership thing is is quite a good point um i i don't don't disagree with you Callum, that he was a defiant uh, backbencher but as he's become leader of the labor party he's kind of let those behind him kind of choose where he actually stands on a lot of things with brexit um and certain yeah. issues with what he seemed to be principled on earlier on in his career um and and i and i think that Michael is right that there is a lot of people that were in the new labor as it was called under tony blair that would couldn't feel like they could vote for Jeremy Corbyn anymore. And I do think he has pushed a lot of people away, but at the same time, he's brought a lot of people in as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's always interesting when it comes around to election time because Jeremy Corbyn is in a lot of the media portrayed as a, a real, real extremist. And and I think in certain ways, obviously, the, the anti-Semitism um, issue and the allegations around that, obviously, we, we shouldn't ignore them when discussing about him. But I do think when it comes to election time, you do see that he doesn't come across as this this kind of frothing um, communist, as it were. He does come across reasonably sensible. Um, but we'll move on to Evie's opinion. Evie says, you know what, Jeremy Corbyn will not go down as the greatest Labour leader in history, but he is the right leader for now. 
We need radical change in this country. For nearly 20 years, we've had the same type of leadership. Blair was a centrist. Brown was a useless. <laughs> and Cameron, May and Johnson are all conservatives, failing us in short succession. We are facing issues that will define this country for generations to come in Brexit and climate change, to name just two, ignoring housing, tuition, policing and more. We need a new way of thinking. And Jeremy Corbyn is just that. Now, I'd say Evie definitely sounds like a Labour voter, George. Yes, that's that's very true. Um, I'd be worried if she was voting elsewhere with that. <laughs> uh, I I guess what I'm going to disagree with with what Evie is saying. Um, I think Jeremy Corbyn's proposals and the Labour Party's proposal are too much of a radical change for this country, um, and they aren't balanced at all. And would see this country go down the plug hole um, with bankruptcy. And and I it, it does scare me that the prospect of a Jeremy Corbyn government personally. Um, and and I think that yes, I. I agree that politics does need to have a new new look and to be shaken up a little bit but i at the same time i don't agree that that new look should be under jeremy corbyn right yeah i, I mean you, you mentioned obviously that the, the kind of spending commitments and the plans that he has are obviously they are fairly radical but obviously the, the conservative manifesto lays out some quite hefty investment plans i mean what, what do you see is is the real difference there then I think uh, the the real difference between the conservative investment plans and the labor investment plans is that we we have uh had a manifesto that has been more or less balanced in terms that we are spending on what we can afford and and we aren't we aren't taxing people unnecessarily i mean jeremy corbyn's plan just to tax the top five percent has now come out as a complete lie they would tax pensioners tax those that are working on 14 to 20 thousand pounds a year and and it i don't believe that that is the right way for this country to go um under just spending and spending and spending we, we've seen it in 1970s and i don't think it's it's a future bright for any generation um right so i i got into that there did you see that uh, yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> our, our next opinion comes in from oliver uh, and he says every person listening to this radio's show should be terrified at the prospect of Jeremy Corbyn becoming Prime Minister, whether you're Jewish or not. This is a man who holds views and opinions that are against the fabric of this country, and this isn't even my hyperbolic version. For the chief rabbi of the UK to speak out and get involved in politics, breaking decades of pre-descent, shows how far this in incident has gone. And even if you're not Jewish, don't think he wouldn't have a problem with you too if you didn't agree with his world worldviews. I'm not saying that Boris Johnson is completely innocent. He has his issues too. But for Corbyn to sit on TV and refuse to apologise to the Jews for his lacklustre handling of anti-Semitic incidents, like he did on the TV this week, shows that he is a very scary prospect for Prime Minister. Well, what would you say to that, Callum? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's an excellent point, Oliver. And there's also been a a video that surfaced on social media this week where it does appear that um, Jeremy Corbyn is suggesting that uh, the the BBC had, or at least it, it was from a while ago, but he was suggesting that the BBC has a kind of bias in favour of those arguing that Israel has um, a right as a state to exist. Uh, and what I'd frankly say to that is that any question of the right of the, the state of Israel to exist 
that's anti-Semitic to, mm. to say it, it doesn't have a right to exist because the real logical conclusion of that is genocide, frankly. Um, and therefore, you know, I'd, I'd definitely kind of want to add that into the the, the mix of, of what Oliver said about obviously the chief rabbi making this really unprecedented intervention into UK politics. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I echo what Oliver is saying. And it was a prime time for Jeremy Corbyn to actually stand on a platform and apologise for what has gone on within his party. Um, and he chose not to. And we can't ignore when a a person high up in a religious setting such as the chief rabbi comes out and says something as he has said um, and still a leader of a massive political party will not apologize for what has gone on is that's when we have to be quite cautious um right okay so remember we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show but it is now time for the for the first on break of this evening so we'll be back after this break Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, should Britain have an elected head of state? So the British royal family is arguably facing its most dangerous crisis in a generation. The institution has been damaged by a rumoured feud between second in line to the throne, Prince William, and his brother, Prince Harry centred around the conduct of both of their wives in regards to discharging their royal duties. More recently, allegations around Prince Andrew, the brother of the heir to the throne, Charles, uh, and his relationship with convicted paedophile uh, Jeffrey Epstein have severely damaged the monarchy. Prince Andrew attempted a disastrous interview recently to clear up the matter, which went so poorly that a host of businesses and organisations have severed ties with the royal and he's now officially retired from public duties. This crisis will be a massive worry in royal circles as it could spell the beginning of the end for the institution, particularly given the fact Prince Charles is extremely likely to ascend to the throne within the next few years and he is not exactly a popular public figure. George, how much damage has recent events done to the institution of the monarchy? And more generally, is it time for Britain to have an elected head of state? Well, it is no secret that I am someone that is a big fan uh, of the Queen and a big fan of the monarchy um, and a big fan of her being the head of state. But I, I don't think that any of these uh, things that have come out in the news and the media about Prince Andrew um, has been nice. And I, and, I, and I think it's absolutely appalling what he has done. Um, and I think it's appalling that there hasn't been any uh, real apology or anything like that. And that he's not accepting what has gone on. And I think that is appalling um, as a whole. Um I think, as you're, you rightly point out in your introduction, Callum, there is definitely times that have gone on recent, in recent times that, that are 
be becoming fractious within the uh, royal family and are drawing a lot of eyes to the royal family and not for good reasons. Um, I think we we went through a period with the royal family where it was all very jolly, where we had a lot of weddings and, and, a, yeah. and a lot of rejoice. And it was all very, very nice. Um, and we... It, it accelerated our love for the Queen and for the royal family. And I think, if anything, made us proud to be British. Um, but as, as time has gone on and these uh, events have revealed themselves, I, unfortunately, I, I think that, yeah, we it is only right that we look at what our royal family is and the way they serve us. Um, but I, I would say, firstly, that if anybody watches um, The Crown, uh, you would see that the royal family is one to have quite a few mishaps go on. Um, and it seems they have been able to get through them in the past. And I think that they will be able to get through these these um, problems as well. Um, I think they will be able to recover from them. I don't think the royal family will potentially look the same as it does right now in a in 10 years' time. But I do believe that there will still be a royal family there. I struggle to see the benefit of electing a royal family or electing a head of state, rather, um, when we have an election that goes on for government and for people to represent us in, in that, the House of Commons, because they are essentially the people that can make the laws and change the laws on which we live by and, and set out the rules of our society. Whereas the Queen, as a head of state, doesn't really have that much influence over what goes on. She has to take the advice from the prime minister in the decisions that she makes, um, even literally anything really she has to be advised upon so i don't think there would be much benefit in us electing um, a head of state because in in such in rulemaking i believe that if we are electing someone then we have to give them powers to be elected upon as in like a manifesto to stand on like we are in this general election um, but i would be really interested to hear as as we all know as well from your perspective, Callum, that you're not the biggest fan of old Queenie, um, <laughs> and and I would like to hear why. I don't know if you're going to argue for it, but I would like to hear the benefits potentially of a, an elected head of state and whether that would mean taking some powers away from government because we are actually then electing someone into power. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, compared to my opinion of Prince Andrew, I think I'm uh, I'm like a, a groupie for the Queen, really, or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I mean, as you know, George, I, I do ultimately believe that uh, and that kind of end goal should be to have an elected head of state um, performing and, and discharging duties in quite a similar way to what the, the current Queen does um, in a more ceremonial sense, um, but po possibly with a slight more ability to challenge the uh, the. the prime minister um because i think as we saw with um the whole pro prorogation crisis i think that the the queen possibly suspected that what boris johnson was suggesting to do was unconstitutional or uncon or, or unlawful rather um but because of the way in which she has to discharge her duties which is to basically just tick everything um it meant that the queen was really unable to 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 do anything about it and ultimately had to fall to the courts to to step in rightly and wrongly rightly or wrongly and say this is what the law is in this country 
Um, so, so I think there is an argument to be made that an elected head of state may well have been able to prevent that crisis because they would have very clearly learnt, known what is a, a legal um, prorogation period um, and and things like this. Um, and I think another thing I would say is that the Queen, as you rightly say, George, she has carried out her duties phenomenally well, overseen a huge transition in this country um, from the time she ascended to the front all the way to the modern day, really. But we do have to look at what's coming next because ultimately the Queen is likely to probably to pass away within the next couple of years or at the bare minimum she ha- she is taking much more of a step back now um because of her age and and rightly so she's worked her socks off and what is following is prince charles uh and prince charles is almost the antithesis to the queen in that he is not um afraid to get involved in things uh, he he is not afraid to really strongly voice his opinions, um, which I think for an unelected uh, person to go ahead and do that, I think that is deeply, deeply worrying, um, especially someone who is frankly as out of touch as what Prince Charles is. Uh, and so that is why I'd say the time might be coming for Britain to have an elected head of state. Um, but I do accept the fact it's, it's not really... A priority but George I I do have a question for you though which is are you as a fairly strong supporter of the monarchy are you worried by the prospects of Prince Charles taking the front um possibly yes I I I still am of the belief that I'm not sure whether he will take it up um I think there might be a an agreement where um Prince William gets to step in straight away rather than Prince Charles could I um Um, sorry to to interrupt but if that were to happen does that not strengthen the case for Britain to have an elected head of state because rather than effectively the head of state be decided by um who, who almost wants it more um, within a very small aristocratic family, shouldn't that decision be extended out to the wider population? I mean, surely Charles has to take the throne um, if we're to really preserve the integrity of this institution. Okay, yeah. I, I, if if that's the way that we have to go around it to to preserve the institution, then Charles can take the throne for two days and step down, um, <laughs> and then William can take over. Uh, so I, I and I and I I think yes, Charles is an outspoken member of the royal family, and he has been quite controversial over his time. But when you are prince and you don't really. Uh, have the responsibility of the head of state, then probably he feels that he is in a better position to speak his mind. And I think that when it comes to the duty of being king, I think he will definitely learn to button his mouth up sometimes. Um, a quick thing that I, I want to ask you, Callum, is that, yeah. and it's really interesting with what you've been saying about how an elected head of state would act and everything. And to me, it's as if we are arguing then, if we if we have an elected head of state that can make decisions and override decisions by the prime minister, are we essentially looking at a reformed House of Lords by getting rid of the House of Lords and just by having an elected head of state instead? Um no, because the the House of Lords can 
push back legislation but it can't outright stop it and i i would suspect that uh the only reason why um a a elected head of state would look to override the prime minister would be if they're acting unlawfully they wouldn't be stepping in if they disagreed politically it would only be if they disagreed legally as it were um if that makes sense to you george yeah 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 um what how do you think this poll is going to be do you think that it's going to have damaged the um the royal family and the support for that the recent events um, I, I definitely think it would have damaged the uh, the royal family, but I don't think it would have damaged it enough for us to be standing on platforms saying that this should be elected. Um, so, but I think it will be close. I'm going to go for a 60% saying uh, no, we shouldn't have elected head of state, and a 40% saying yes, we should. What, what are your predictions? I'm going to go for 80% saying no, we shouldn't. Because um, oh. I'll be happy if it's any lower than the than, than no mark then uh, <laughs> <laughs> right then uh time to move on to a song break but remember to vote on this poll should britain have an elected head of state you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk force us to listen and we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we are should Britain have an elected head of state? And you guys have been voting away. So 41% of you said yes, we should have an elected head of state compared to 59% of you that said no, we shouldn't. I mean, George, obviously, congratulations. <laughs> You're very much on the money again. I mean, do, do you think that that poll would be different if we were asking should Britain abolish the monarchy because i suspect that that uh, yes vote would be much less when it's actually making it concrete what what would happen what do yeah, you think I, absolutely i think if if we were asking a question saying let's abolish would you abolish the uh, monarchy then i think it would definitely be a lot higher uh, for no uh, and uh, because electing a head of state isn't getting rid of it in a sense we are more making them more established i would argue yeah i suppose we could elect the queen as well couldn't we if we wanted <laughs> all right Callan, calm down uh <laughs> let's move on to our third discussion of this evening and we're asking what political ideology do you believe in the most so let's start with the basics what is an ideology well it's a system of ideas and ideals especially one which forms the basis of economic or political theory and policies to which a group of people understand and conform to. So ideologies can come in all shapes and sizes, and you will find that political parties all use different ideologies to have a basis of how to run the country and to bring the parties together, to have a platform that they all agree upon. So Callum and I will now do our best, and I say do our best to explain the following ideologies as we do want you to decide which one you think you believe in the most out of the following so the ideologies are as follows socialism conservatism liberalism and environmentalism or other and before i throw it over to our beautiful listeners I've got to throw it over to Mr. Gurr, who are, he's just going to—he's just going to go on about liberalism and about how amazing it is and stuff like that. So, but Callum, what you, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, broadly, the, the ideology I subscribe to the most is is liberalism. Really? Um, <laughs> shocking, I know. <laughs> um, and that basically is a belief in the natural goodness of human beings, and the individuals should be autonomous, um, and and should be able to relatively do as they please within the confines of the laws of the state um, and overall this then will protect people from kind of arbitrary authority um, um, talking about kind of the times when um, the the law of the land was set out by the divine right of kings i.e that they got um, their authority from god which is utter rubbish uh, um so so broadly that that's the ideology i subscribe to the most liberalism and um, because i truly believe that if more people subscribe to this as an ideology and said well as long as people aren't doing harm to me why should i judge them why should i um kind of legislate against them or, or say horrible things about them I believe that if more people were like that, we would be living in a in a better society. Um, and I, I think when you think about, especially with the um, uh, with trans rights, I think if people just let people um, live their life how they want to live it, then we could see a lot less transphobia around. Um, just to give kind of one example, so that's the reason why i subscribe most strongly to liberalism um george do you, do you want to come in here now because I'm, I'm presuming you're going to say conservatism is, is the ideology you subscribe to the most um not necessarily i i definitely obviously um agree with a lot of elements of conservatism but i would also quickly say that i i would like to think that i would be a hybrid of liberalism and conservatism into one that is my perfect ideology taking certain elements of conservatism certain elements of liberalism conservatism in the basic terms is literally taking the historic traditions and moving them forward with time ensuring that government's responsibility is to be a servant to the people and not the master and making sure that politicians resist the temptation to trans hey transform society without the say of the people um and it's it's conservatism as well is a a idea to make sure that there is a level of economic stability there is that security element as well and it's a conservatism in modern times is a i think is a more and more harder ideology to make modern as it were and that yeah. is why i believe that for me uh conservatism and liberalism is a very good way to go forward um, because unfortunately conservatism if you go, if you stick by the ideology of conservatism then as callum has said the the freedom of speech the the the, the right to to speak out uh, in support of people that are gay that wouldn't exist if you just solely kept to the conservatism way i don't believe for example the conservative party is solely on the ideology of conservatism i do still believe that we are quite a touching within the liberalism arguments um 
and I would, I, I can't believe I'm really saying it, but if I was sitting there on my laptop listening to the show, I would definitely be clicking the liberalism because I feel like that relates to more of my arguments than the conservatism does to, in today's society. Yeah, so that's really interesting perspective to have. I mean, obviously, to kind of bring in socialism. Uh, and I, <laughs> broadly, though, I, I'd say, I mean, just to kind of explain, I suppose, what socialism is, it's it's a belief in a systems of ownership and operation of the, the means of production, i.e. how we produce things, um, and then the distribution of these things we produced. The, these things should be produced and distributed by a society or a community rather than um, by individuals. And by that, it means effectively not for private ownership and, and for one boss to reap all of the profits from that. And the idea of that means that kind of all members of society or that community share in the work and the fruits of the labour. Yeah, as it were. Yeah. Um, and, and sorry, George, but uh, what one of the things I'd say is that really socialism actually underpins a hell of a lot of what we do in society now. So Absolutely. although you say, oh, oh, do we have to talk about socialism? <laughs> Realistically, one of the most cherished institutions in this country, the NHS, is a socialist idea. Um, and so I'd, I'd say broadly, actually, it's really hard to say which of these ideologies do you believe in the most, because there are good things to all of these things, because it, yeah. even with conservatism, sometimes it is good to preserve traditions, as we've talked about long on this show. Uh, I mean, do, did you have anything kind of to say about environmentalism? I'm just conscious of the fact we haven't said much about that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Environmentalism is quite a... Uh, a new ideology to come about. It's come about in recent history. Um, it's still pretty old, but it has come out recently. Um, and it's, it's practically, environmentalism is about understanding the environment that we live in, ensuring that the environment is being put first, and ensuring that the investment that we put into this country is also being put into the planet to ensure that it is living and healthy for those to come. Um, and environmentalism is, if you read into it, a lot of the elements is in um, the Green Party, of, of course. Um, and yeah. environmentalism is actually it's again that as Callum has rightly said that there are certain elements within the environmentalism ideology and, and the arguments for a greater planet for preserving the things and animals that we love absolutely as a conservative I would take those ideologies forward and I would take those arguments forward and I think in every single ideology even parts of socialism as Callum has said there are parts that we have to to bite our bottom lips sometimes and just realize that every ideology can be a benefit to everything if we solely just focus on one area of ideology i don't think that there is any progression to happen whereas if we take a collective look over everything of all the ideologies there are um we can move forward and by taking little examples from everything it's clear that when you just have a socialist um, government and a socialist society, it very rarely works. It sometimes works in very small um, time periods, but after that, it's disastrous. When you have a fully just conservatism ideology, it's th a country can't move forward. But when you put them all together, I think that's where countries do start to move forward. And I think that's where a lot of governments now, centralist governments, are looking to go forward. 
Yeah, yeah. And you do see in all of the main political parties in the UK, they've got a hybrid of, of these ideologies there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and it, it, is, it is the modern day in politics. It really is. Um, so from those lovely explanations that Callum and I have said, and just by saying that you should vote for all of them there, really. Um, so best of luck voting. But Callum, which one do you think is going to come up on top? Um, I think that socialism is going to just come out on top, followed by conservatism very closely. What about you? I'm going to say liberalism is going to come out on top, followed by uh, environmentalism. I'm going to put my neck out there. Um, Right. So remember to vote on this question. What political ideology do you believe in the most? And that is socialism, conservatism, liberalism, environmentalism or other. Um, and you can vote on that on wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back right after this song break. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, um, what political ideology do you believe in the most? And the results have just come in. So socialism got 15%, conservatism got 9%, liberalism got 54%, environmentalism got 19%, and other got 3%. Well, I just got it right again, didn't I? You did, but I mean, <laughs> I uh, that's the most shocked I've ever been for a poll result, I think, since we started doing this show. I, I, can't, believe, of... I can't believe how many people... A support of of liberalism as the their kind of main ideology i mean i suppose it does go to show how much it influences um well all three of the major parties but the two ones that don't actually have liberal in their name as well there you go yeah yeah so you know it's it's um really really interesting that so uh, the time... lib dems are going to get a majority we'll see we'll see uh, <laughs> debate her george debate her Uh, right time to move on to our fourth and final discussion of this evening and we are asking the question have you already decided who you will or would vote for so on the 12th of december the uk hits the polls deciding who should lead them for the next five years or possibly shorter than that we'll see (laughs) Uh, the stakes are incredibly high with the fate of brexit being decided almost entirely by this election as well as what kind of economic policy the UK enacts in the following years. George, I know you'll have already decided on who you'll be voting for, so I'm going to toss you with a slightly different question, which is how did you decide the first time you came around to vote and how does that influence how you decide now? Um, Well, I think I'm quite offended that you've already decided that I've already made up my mind. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, a conservative uh, member is going to vote conservative. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, I how did uh, I voted first time around uh, in the general election. The first time I could vote in a general election was 2017, um, and I voted conservative then. And I will be voting conservative again now, believe it or not. I just came to the decision that I did because I believe that the Conservatives are the only party that will achieve Brexit in a good way with a deal. I believe that they are the only people that can be trusted with our NHS, with our social care and with making this country a better place to live. And I would, I could never, ever 
vote for a leader such as Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and I also, also I, um, I, I laughed a little bit there because the area that I will be voting in is also my boss's seat. So if I voted against him, then I wouldn't really be doing myself any favours. Um, so that is also sometimes comes into account when I do go to the ballot box. Um, but Callum, I think what's interesting with you, though, is that obviously you are a Liberal Democrat and obviously you um, are at university at the moment. You're doing your master's and you quite rightly said to me um, a little while ago about how you were cleared the Lib Dems wouldn't be able to win in that seat. So I pose the question to you, would you be would you vote for um, Labour to ensure that the Conservatives don't get in? So I will pose that question to you again. Will you be tactically voting to vote for a Labour candidate to ensure that Conservatives don't get in? Uh, well, <laughs> not to be a, not to be a politician about this, but I I do think that rests upon one incorrect assumption that if I voted Labour, Labour would end up getting in. Um, Labour won't get in in either of the seats I'm eligible to vote for. It, the Conservatives will get in, whether I vote Lib Dem or whether I vote Labour. Truthfully, um, I but broad, more on the broader question. I would be willing to vote Labour, but not under Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and I think I'm not alone in saying that. I think we discussed this last week or, or the week before uh, on the show, and, and I'm definitely not alone in saying that. Um, but I would say to anyone who is maybe facing a similar predicament to me, um, if you're in a much tighter seat than what I am, it might be worth holding your nose and voting for the Lib Dems if they're the most best place to win, voting for the Greens if they're the best place, or indeed voting for Labour if they are. But that is up to everyone to, I, to decide how they want to vote. And obviously, I, tactical voting can come through for Tories as well. Yeah, I just quickly want to say this about voting, because if this is your first time going out to vote in a general election, please, please, and I beg you, please, and I'm not going to sit here and say vote Conservative because I'm not. Um, I think it's up to you to make the decision on which way you vote. And honestly, do as much research as you can. Don't just believe the things that are coming yeah. up on social media. Don't just watch the TV debates. Sit there, read the manifestos, work out which one best represents your beliefs and best represents what you want your, your future to look like. Um, because this is a, an incredibly important um, general election. It's going to um, be the future of what our country looks like outside of Brexit or within still remaining within the EU. So really sit down and take some time and work out who you want to vote for. And don't just go along and ask your parents which way they're going to vote and vote the same way. Don't do that. Be independent and vote what you believe in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, most of all, as you say, George, vote. You know, it's a really um, powerful thing we have to do. Um, how do you think this poll is going to go just very quickly, George? I'm going to say that there are still quite a lot of undecided people. I mean, out canvassing, there's a lot of people that are undecided. Um, so I'm going to say it will be a 50-50. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I should just follow what you're doing at this point, George, but I'm going to say that 60% will have already decided how they're going to vote, but there's about 40% that haven't decided yet. Um, they they will swing the election ultimately, I think. 
but it's your chance now to vote on this poll. So the question is, have you already decided who you will or would vote for? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome. Have you already decided who you will or would vote for? Uh, and 68% of you said yes, you have, compared to 32% of you that have said no, you haven't. George, I was that that's as close as I've got in a while, I think. Um, that is as close as you've got in about a year, mate. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, that's very interesting because looking forward in the election, it does mean that for these next final two weeks of the campaign, they potentially is all to play for if that is replicated across the country. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, very, very interesting. Right then, we've um, reached the time to end this evening's show. Um, So thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Girl. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your questions that you want to ask Adam and I. And I will just say, they don't have to be about politics, they can be about anything. Just ask away, um, and Adam and I will be as honest as we can be. Uh, you can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizardradio. And remember, we want you to send in questions that you've always wanted to ask Callum and myself. Um, to, and we will answer them absolutely and we are really <laughs> looking forward to hearing your opinions next week uh, not opinions your questions next week but it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving so as always I've been the Conservative voting George Doran's Cup and I've been the Liberal Democrat voting Callum Gert thanks very much for listening everyone we'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed goodbye guys ciao for now Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.